title of my sermon is Lazarus Come Forth, The Case for Eternal Life. And uh, it's been something I've kind of, I've gotten kind of tiptoed around this for years, intentionally even in, in, in my life. And part of the reason was because I was very skeptical. I was actually proud of my skepticism. I would often say that in regards to the things of God, um, I didn't believe them until they happened. Right? And then I had no choice but to believe them. And so thankfully this week we came through some RTF and kind of put a stranglehold on skepticism. And so here we are today. And uh, I'm not skeptical about this topic at all. And at the same time, I recognize that that this whole concept of eternal life and, and uh, immortality is, is one of those things that the church tends to not handle well um, for a myriad of reasons. One of them being people keep dying, right? And so therefore, it's very difficult for the church to address why. And if we can't answer the why, which happens to be from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, um, we tend to go, well, um, we're not going to talk about this. I, on the other hand, am going to talk about this, and I'm very excited about it. Because I believe that the Bible is so, so beautifully written and points to the wondrous glory of God being manifested in mankind. And I believe that it's important that we challenge uh, things from time to time Especially when we hear verses like, all things are possible for him who believes. Or when we hear Bible passages or verses that say, nothing is impossible with God, nothing is impossible for God. Right? Except, of course, everlasting life for mankind, eternal life. Or perhaps we struggle for other reasons, and some of those reasons are absolutely legitimate. We do see death and decay all around us. The question I have, though, is, is that the way it was meant to be? And if not, what did Jesus do about it if he did anything? What did he say about it? And on this topic, now I said I wasn't, I told Jen, I almost promised her, but she's not here right now, she's coming, so I better hurry up and get this out, uh, that I wasn't going to say anything about uh, eternal damnation or eternal separation from God. But I will challenge you. Endeavor to find what the Bible actually has to say from beginning to end. Number of verses, number of passages, number of ideas that speak to that very thing as compared to what God has to say about eternal life. And I challenge you. Let's just give it a go. See how many verses you can come up and just kind of weigh the two, two out and see what happens. All right. So for my preamble... Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Keep that very strongly in your mind. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and improve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And one of the things I, want, I, I believe I'm supposed to share with you today is it's not my job to convince you one way or the other. That's not my job. And I'm not going to argue with you whether or not um, eternal life is available for you. The Bible is very clear as to whether or not it's available for you. This isn't about debating. This is simply about, I'm going to show you the journey that I'm on. It's one of the most intimate parts of my personal journey. 
uh, and one of the things that I have yet to master, but I believe I will. And, uh, and so, you know, just kind of be open. You know, nobody's trying to get you to throw away your theology or though, you know, it's okay to challenge it. Yeah, if it happens, it happens. Absolutely. But let God speak to you, right? So just be open to God speaking you, to you through this and recognize that this is not a salvation message. Meaning that your salvation is not dependent upon whether or not you believe what I'm about to share. As long as you recognize that it is part of the promise of your salvation. Okay? Is that fair? Yes. No. What I'm presenting today is by no means an exhaustive study of the topic. However, it is meant to cause you to think about and question your understanding of God's gift to you and the appropriation of that gift. I'm very comfortable with you potentially disagreeing with me and my current conclusions. I just ask, uh, ask you to truly listen to what I'm going to share as it has the potential to set you on a path that will be controversial to many but hopeful to many more. All right. It's so good. Are you aware that there is cream out there in society that's called anti-aging cream? <laughs> right? I'm like, like, as a man, I haven't encountered a lot of this cream. You know, I can, I can, I can share, quite honestly, I've never tried it. I've never bought it. I've never seen it, but I've heard rumors of it. Whether or not it's working, eh, I don't know. Right? And there's anti-wrinkle cream. Right? There's these things in society where the world is like, man, we need to stop the aging. We need to stop the, the appearance of aging. We need to see if we can make our lives last longer. And, it, and it's not in jest, actually. So you'll have people like fad diets and fad this, fad that, that really the heart behind it is to cause people to be more healthy and to live longer. That's kind of the goal. And, and are you aware that that has actually been the goal for hundreds to thousands of years? This is true. If it were not so, I would have told you. But science is on this journey. There's, there, the, it's remarkable what they're trying to do. So I just want to read some excerpts from two, two different uh, science magazines. One of them says, Immortality has been re uh, regarded as mythology and science fiction for years, but now human beings are close to defying death due to several major scientific breakthroughs, which, w which will give humans a plethora of choice on how to live forever by the year 2050, according to a top futurologist. So if you want to live forever, according to science, uh, or some of the studies that are being done, you've got to at least last till 2050 when the technology would be available. Okay? So for some of you, easy. For some of you, less easy. All right. And then I found another article written February of 2019 in The Guardian. China's first emperor ordered his subjects to search for the elixir of life in a quest for immortality. In 16th century France, uh, the Fra France nobles would drink gold in a bid to extend their lifespans. Gilgamesh, the Sumerian king at the heart of humanity's earliest epic poem, 
found a magic herb, but a snake ate it. Yeah. That snake, by the way, should not be too far from your mind. Okay? Anybody know the story of Gilgamesh? You've heard of it? You've heard the name at least? Nope. I'm going to move on. I've got way too much material. <laughs> Just look it up for yourselves. Um, in 2015, a woman on MTV, on, on the MTV series True Life, uh, I'm obsessed with staying young, bathed in pig blood. You know, like it's, it's sort of ridiculous to the, the extent that some people go to. In 2019, the quest for everlasting life. So remember, this was written February 2019. In 2019, the quest for everlasting life is largely, though not always, more scientific than these things that others have tried. Funded by Silicon Valley elites, researchers believe they are closer than ever to tweaking the human body so that we can live or finally live forever or at least quite a bit longer. Even as some worry about, pseudos about pseudoscience in the same sector. Scientists and entrepreneurs are working on a range of techniques from attempting to stop cells aging to practicing or to the practice of injecting young blood into old bodies, uh, a process denounced as quackery by the Fed Federal Drug Administration this week. Not big surprise, there's a tremendous amount of money in death. Just keep that in the back of your head as well. If there's any conspiracy theorists in, back your, like in here at all, at all interested in conspiracy, just try to figure out how, how much money is uh, made on death. And, and the treating of sickness versus the healing, okay? I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but for whatever it's worth. There's millions of people now who don't see death, or who won't see death if they choose, says James Stroll, the director of the Coalition of Radical Life Extension, an organization which brings together scientists and enthusiasts interested in physical immortality. At present, our bodies are built to last if you took perfect care of your body, roughly 125 years according to Stroll. The problem is that if someone did live to, to be 125, they're unlikely to remain spry into their final decades. Who wants to live in some decrepit state? And uh, I'm not going to go into great length into it right now, but I did a study years ago um, regarding life and, and just life expectancy in different continents, different nations, different people groups. And, uh, you know, when we, when we recognize, ah, I'm just, you know, I'm going to be old and decrepit and my body's just going to shut down. It's amazing how quickly your body, get, body begins to shut down. What you believe is what actually ends up happening, right? So it's kind of what you frame up in your life. And uh, even though I'm not going to talk about it a lot, the median age of, of people or men dying in North America is somewhere around 72 years of age, whereas in many Asian countries, it's well into their 90s. And it's not because of diet, Okay. It's largely actually because of what you expect for your life and what you expect life to look like later. In cultures where, where the old are actually honored, they last longer. Okay? In cultures where the older you get, the less value you seem to be or bring to society, the earlier they die. So just, again, for whatever that's worth to you. I want to skip most of this um, this uh, article, but there was one in particular. Yeah, right here. There's a concept that 
Um, okay, I'll, I'll, read it. I'll just read it. Sierra Sciences is another company racing to cheat death. It focuses on treatments that can lengthen telomeres. Um, those are the, the, the caps at the end of each DNA strand. Telomeres get shorter each time a cell copies itself. And you know that, like, uh, was it Chris or who? Somebody was up here at some point talking about how, how often you shed your skin. Um, like, the body's constantly rejuvenating, right? Like, it's constantly trying to heal itself. And the more often it does that, uh, the shorter and shorter these telomeres get. But imagine, just imagine, if you could lengthen the telomere again, what would happen? Telomeres get shorter and shorter as they copy themselves. Because our cells copy themselves throughout our lives, the telomeres eventually get very short, and our cells cannot regenerate. We get old. If you can get the telomeres back to the normal state uh, that they were when you were born, that could reduce your biological age back to about 25 years. You wouldn't be reversed back to a baby. You'd stop where maturity begins and ends. So maturity, the physical maturity tends to be agreed upon somewhere between 28 and mid-30s is when, you're hum when the human body is kind of matured. Interestingly enough, that's G when Jesus died and, and it's what a lot of uh, theologians believe. Like your, your, your physical body will... Or sorry, your glorified body will be something like when you're in your 30s. So hopefully you have a good, good decade there. <laughs> Among Sierra Sciences competitors, uh, yes, is BioViva, whose CEO, Elizabeth Parrish, is so committed to the cause that she became one of the first humans to undergo telomere therapy in 2015. Writing in 2018, she claimed a measurement of her telomeres showed that they had grown younger by roughly 30 years since she received the treatment. Her body was reversing aging. That's fairly significant, I think. So I, I have a belief that I think is very fundamental. It's fundamentally founded uh, yeah, in Scripture. And it's the, the idea that God first brings the truth to his church or to his believers. So um, you'll see that first he brings the knowledge of him and whatever to Israel and they're supposed to be a blessing to all of the nations by sharing the information, by sharing the revelation, and just taking it out into the world. But when the church, or when, the, when, the, when they rejected that cause or mission or, or revelation, when they rejected it, God would take it to the outside world. Okay? So we see that also in Jesus' time, where first the revelation comes to the church, he brings to the church, he himself goes to the church, they reject him. Well, not the church, but the people. Right? He brings it to them. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. This is very important because today the church, um, in a lot of ways, are the Jews. And so the message of eternal life first came to the church. And then we rejected it, right? Because we really desperately need to hang on to reason and, and, and things like that, which we'll talk about when we talk about the two trees. But when we rejected it, he took it into the world, the Gentiles. And they're, and they're running for it. They're not rejecting the concept. They may not know that they get eternal life through Jesus Christ, okay? In part because we're not demonstrating that. We're not talking about it. We say that you actually still have to go through death in order to, you know. Um, but where we want to go with that is the world is hungry for eternal life. And there's actually only one way they're going to get it. And you've been given a message to give to them in the good news. 
And I don't know where, like how much of us are, or how many of us are aware that part of the good message of, of, of the kingdom, the message of Christ, is actually eternal life. Now, how do I know that? Well, it's pretty simple. John 3, 16 says something. How many of you can re recite for me John 3, 16? Okay, give her. Let's hear it. Okay, so we're going to break that down. For God so loved the world, right? So it's incumbent upon God to demonstrate to the world that he loves us. It's who he is. He loved us. Boom. We can stop there, but we don't stop there. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? He gave. He didn't expect anything. He gave. His only begotten son. Kind of a big deal. That whosoever should believe. I can hang my hat on that statement alone actually, in truth, that whosoever believes, and guess what? The life you're living is the life you believe. It's not imaginary. This is not some joke. This, this is the real deal. You're literally living out the life you believe, and right? And so, and we endeavor to grow. We endeavor to change. We endeavor to receive revelation from God so that we can walk in something new, but you don't have to. That's the beauty of God is you don't have to, but you can is that good? Soft enough? I'm trying to be soft and kind of gentle. And uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever should believe in him would not perish. Okay, in a lot of translations it's actually die. Because what is perish? Well, it's a Roman Catholic church just down the street here. Okay, anyway, sorry. I had to add a little bit of humor. That we would not perish. Now we do something in English. We do something with the Western mind. We're like, well, that it doesn't actually mean die. Help me understand why not. Why in this one particular context would it not mean death? Well, because we don't understand. So if we don't understand, this is, this is the great thing about having a Western mind. If we don't understand it, we'll just give it another meaning. You know, especially in English. <laughs> one word can mean so many different things and have so many different applications. That's what we do. And so that's what we're kind of trying to do with this one word perish in this one example where it means death everywhere else in the scripture. We want it to mean something else here. Sadly, though, that in the original text, it still actually means death. Okay? That you would not die, but that you would have everlasting life. Help me to understand again what everlasting means. It's a long time, right? So we have to define e what is eternal life versus what is everlasting life. God is the only one who has eternal life. Scripture is very clear about that. Very clear. As in his character, he is, it, he is the only one who embodies eternal. Because eternal means no beginning and no end. And so sometimes the church gets hung, hung, hung up on this immortality conversation because we remember we had a beginning. Right? Well, I'm going to challenge that thought. Everlasting means we have a beginning, but we have no end. Okay? So for this conversation, I'm, I'm going to touch on eternal life, but that's not going to be our focus, because that's an entirely different revelation than what, we're, what, what I'm called to talk about today. Um, but we are going to be talking about everlasting life, because you remember that you have a beginning. We see children. Children seem to have a beginning. 
but therefore there's also no end, everlasting. Like, unless you're going to call the Bible a liar, if you're going to call God a liar, you're going to call Paul a liar, you're going to call Timothy a liar, you're going to call Jesus a liar. Like, you know, you'd have a lot of really good people to call a liar uh, to actually argue against this. Which is fantastic, I love that. This is, this is the one snippet I believe I'm going to say in regards to eternal life. That you were in him from the beginning. Eternal is in the spirit. So your spirit is eternal. It was with him always. It has always been with him. It is still with him. And it will always be with him. Your spirit is eternal. This body, however, this body, this physical body, literally had a beginning. Okay? So that's all I'm going to say right now about eternal life. Everybody okay with that? Nothing, nothing, you know, way out there? Can I have the slide there with my uh, Bible verses? It'll just give, give me great comfort. All right. Yeah, I know. And this is nowhere near the extent. This is not the totality of Scripture that talks about you having the promise of everlasting life. Remember how I challenge you, like, go, on, go through Scripture and see how many Scriptures condemn you to eternal separation, eternal condemnation? Good luck finding similar amounts, okay? This is all available. I can, this is a sim, it's just one slide. If you want this, it's a PDF. We can email it to you um, just to get you going in that conversation. All right, but now I'm going to have to hustle through a little bit. I was not taking the time. This is a massive topic. All right. How very odd that we believe that we must experience death in order to inherit eternal life. At what point did death become the doorway by which we must enter in so that we can cast, or sorry, taste and see that, that the Lord is good? Do we experience eternal or everlasting life through death or through Jesus? Jesus does not say that I am the way, the truth, and the death. That's not a small statement I'm making, and it's not a joke. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right? He who believes in me will never die. Okay? And, they, and though he dies, he will live again. So the, the, the idea here, if you didn't take a picture, let me know. I have a smile. There's too many pictures out there of me just looking frustrated. Hi. I'm not frustrated. I'm actually really excited about this. I'm just trying to, you know, be slow so that we can, so we can chew on it a little bit. And if I don't get through the whole thing, I will not have said it fast enough. That's <laughs> kind of my take. But yeah, we'll just, we're just going to keep going to the beginning of a journey that you've actually been on for a very long time. All right? Oh, yes, here we go. Last week I preached in Gimli and I talked about uh, receiving your inheritance. Now, inheritance in the Old Testament means the same thing that it means in the New Testament and it actually means the very same thing today, right? Somebody else passes, you gain from what they've left behind. They give it to you, you receive it, right? What do you need to do in order to receive your inher an inheritance from, from anybody? You need to exist. That's number one. 
to be able to inherit it, you need to exist. Can you inherit it if you're dead? No, but those that have stayed, they can inherit, it, inherit what you have inherited. Can you help me to understand that why then, if, if inheritance literally, literally means the same thing, old, new, and now, why we suddenly change it when it comes to our inheritance from God? Well, no, you only get that when you die. Great, then, God, then Jesus really didn't need to die for us, right? It says that no greater gift has anyone given than to lay down their life for, one, for their brothers, right? That's a great example of love. So, let's say, I'm going to use this example in Gimli. A gunman comes in, and it's either he's going to kill both of us or one of us. Who do we choose? I choose to lay my life down for Jen so that she doesn't have to die. Hmm, okay. So we do understand this concept that if somebody lays down their life for somebody else, it's so that they don't have to taste death. Right? You follow me here? It's totally natural, totally logical, makes sense. Until we start reading the scripture, it's like, well, that doesn't mean that there. Actually, it does. Jesus laid down his life for his brothers. We even sang about it this morning. He laid his life down for us. For his friends, he laid down, like we sung about how we're friends of Jesus. He laid down his life for us. Why? Was it so that we could experience death with him? We died in him. He died for us. He died as us. We're co-crucified. Co-raised. Co-inheritors. Co-heirs. That's what the scripture says. Right? So all I'm doing this morning is I'm bringing some scripture and I'm just gently trying to show you how we've redefined certain words within scripture because of our own understanding. And it's amazing because there, there was a preamble from God on this very thing about how, like, oh man, if it challenges my understanding, then the speaker's wrong. Right? Here's the struggle. Lean not on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That's in Proverbs, right? Proverbs, Psalms. I've got it in here. Beauty. So in the, and in this, on this topic in particular, like if we recognize that death is the last enemy to be conquered, recognize that he already did it, so what does that leave for you? We believe that Jesus conquered sin and death, and this is what the church has done very, very well, in my opinion, is it's taught that we have the power in our lives to no longer sin because Jesus conquered sin. Now, it doesn't mean we won't sin, but there is grace so that we will not sin. Now, some of, and some of us like can honestly say that today, so far, you haven't sinned, right? Just say yes, so I feel good. It's like, okay, repent, <laughs> right? And with, with that, he also conquered death so that you wouldn't have to. He did both at the same time. And, and, and through teachings and through lack of understanding and through lack of revelation and through lack of experience, we challenge the notion of eternal life because we've seen so much death. Well, I've seen a lot of sin as well, but I know that God gives me grace 
to overcome that sin in my life. How do I know that? Because Jesus conquered it. Well, if he conquered that, and I can have power over that, then certainly, under the same logic, him conquering death, in the same, like the very same verse, I then have the power also to conquer death. Now, interestingly enough, he's not talking about resurrection. How do I know that? Because he is the life and the resurrection. He's actually both. He's both. I'm jumping ahead of myself here. What is God's heart pertaining to immortality in mankind? So, I, I love when the Bible actually tells us this. And what we're going to do is we're going to do a practice of the, the uh, place of first mention. Kind of the idea, the idea that uh, you can define or you can build uh, your theology or you build an understanding based on the first time something was spoken in the Bible. Or an idea was presented in the Bible. So let's just jump right to the beginning in Genesis 2 verse 8 to 9. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man who, whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of uh, in the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, we have two trees, and they look very similar. They're not the same, but they look very similar. Okay? I'm not going to do an exhaustive teaching on this one either, because that is a sermon unto itself. We're going to call this one knowledge. And we're going to call this one life. Okay? Pretty easy to distinguish, to distinguish one from the other. Now, if only God had labeled them so in the, in the garden, maybe this whole thing wouldn't have happened. Maybe they got confused. That was me trying to be funny. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> All right. So he actually placed in the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And what tree did he say? Do not eat of this tree for you will surely die. Right. The knowledge of good and evil. Did he say don't eat from the tree of life? No. So if this one's going to give them the knowledge of good and evil, because that's the fruit of it, what is this one going to give them? Right. Now, if this one was literal, what would this one be? Right. It's the same idea. It's carried across, right? Super simple. I'm trying to keep this really basic. That's really, really easy. It like, and here's the thing, you guys. I don't have the full revelation on this, and I'm okay with that. Right? But I still know it to be true. And so, right now it's right here, and it's gently making its way down to my heart, and hopefully you're on a similar path right now. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded him, you may, not, you may eat freely from every tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in, that day, uh, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You'll have separation from God, you, like you'll start experiencing decay. That's the concept, okay? Gen that's the concept that the church has been teaching. Genesis 3, to 24, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like, like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it. And this is what he actually says. And live forever. All right. So this is where the concept 
of immortality or everlasting life enters into the conversation for mankind. Adam and Eve did not argue this point. So here's an interesting little note. Daily we choose whether or not to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Daily. All right? That's when we pass judgment on, on something. Even this conversation, whether you know it or not, is passing through a filter that happens to come from this tree. All right? You making a decision as to whether or not this is accurate is you being God over it because this is actually what he said. This is what he said. They will live forever. If they eat of this tree, they will live forever. Now, I'm going to just jump ahead of this whole sermon and say, there is some dude in the New Testament saying that he is the life. He is the tree of life. That if we eat of him, what? Surely we will not die, right? We will have everlasting life. We believe in him, we will have everlasting life. But then we come back to this tree... Because somebody's telling us, you surely will not live forever. It's funny how that little serpent keeps coming back to us and whispering into our ears. And innocently enough, we keep listening. Because we don't understand, we don't get it. If you were meant to get it, you would have got it. So I'm just going to keep going. Therefore the Lord God sent, sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim, an angel, a fiery angel, and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. This is real to God. This thing about living forever is very real to him. It's not about dying and being resurrected and then experiencing something. No, this living forever is a, real, is a real thing to God. If it's a real thing for him, perhaps it should become something prevalent for us. That we really, we want to take God at his word. Without question in my mind, it is clear that God's intent right from the beginning um, was for man to eat of the tree of life and to live forever. If it were not possible for man to live forever in the natural, he would not have removed Adam and Eve from the garden, guarding the access to the tree of life with an angel and a flaming sword. If it was strictly a spiritual thing, he would not have removed the possibility of you eating from that tree. You were removed. And then he brought the tree to you. What is the time here? Right, so that's page one of 40. So we're just going to jump ahead. And uh, basically all I'm skipping over is the absolute proof and evidence that the, that the concept of everlasting life is riddled all throughout the New Testament. It is a major point that is being made. And often a speaker will say, if God says three things, three things, or the same thing three times, sorry, in the Bible, he really means it. Here's an indicator of how much he means it. <laughs> this is just an indicator. And I know it's a bit of a challenge to accept. I do. I totally get it. No problem. There's another guy who also understood it. His name is Paul. And, uh, yeah. 
we're going we're gonna to see what Paul has to say about it as well. Is this okay? It's, kind of, it's, not, it's not too heavy, right? It's an interesting topic, right? It's not full of science fiction. It's based on reality, or God's reality. And you've got to understand, you guys, God's reality needs to trump your, your reality. If it doesn't, you better stop praying for people to be healed. Because in the natural, it looks like they won't be. And if in the natural, it looks like they won't be, yet we have this drive to lay our hands on them so that they would be healed, we have an expectation, hey man, God's going to heal them. And if we didn't have that expectation, we wouldn't ask questions like, why aren't people getting healed here, but they're getting healed over there? We do have an expectation that God wants to heal people. Is that accurate? Like, would you say yes? Right. So the same God who said that you will heal people also said raise the dead. So here's an interesting juxtaposition for me. Raise the dead, but you've got to experience death in order to get, get your inheritance. God doesn't say you have to experience death to get your inheritance. You need to simply believe in Christ and believe in him who sent him. That's how you inherit the kingdom. You don't inherit the kingdom by dying. You inherit the kingdom by believing. Right? So when he says, you will lay your hands on the sick and they will be healed, in that same idea, he's saying, and go raise the dead. If, dead was meant to if death was meant to happen, could it be that it was meant to happen just so God could be glorified in you raising the people from the dead? If he wanted people dead or to die... And I know th I, this is very difficult to bridge. I do. I, I totally understand this. Because people still die, and then we're like, well, what, it must have been God's will for them to die. I, I get it. That's and it is a great point. But it's coming from this tree. Okay? It's coming from this tree. My knowledge should not be based on my circumstances or my experience. It needs to be based on life, on Jesus, and what he says. See, Jesus is saying, or God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That we know that, right? So, if, if, if yesterday he said, man, they can live forever, guess what he still believes? They can live forever. If he says, Jesus conquered death, guess what that means? That through him you've conquered death. But it's, a, it's this thing, this, this is the last major wrestling point for mankind. Really, it is. It's the last major wrestling point because we already believe we can heal the sick. We already believe we can cast out demons. There's massive ministries based on those two things alone. Just on those two things alone. So when will man get it into his heart that he also has power over death because of the same God? God said, raise the dead. Not leave them alone. I'm not touching them. They've already entered in. No. You're supposed to raise the dead because you're supposed to ex experience everlasting life the world is so desperate and hungry for this truth that they're going after it on their own and as a church we're being invited again back to the simple truth that what god says is true not what i understand what i understand isn't necessarily true but if he said it then it's true how do i know that because those in hebrews 11 for an example we got this great list of people who believed Okay, in Hebrews 11, and they're great. And, and they do all kinds of things wrong. They do bad stuff. And yet, they believed God. And it was credited to them as righteousness. If I, if I had the time to go over every Bible passage, you would understand that there is righteous living that is found in the Old Testament that is brought into the New Testament. But now, because of Christ, this is a beautiful thing, that he became sin so that you would become the righteousness of God in Christ. 
So it's not about self-righteousness. It's about, not about you doing something in order to, 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 to gain eternal life or everlasting life. You already have it. It is an actual gift of Jesus that you have not yet agreed with. And it's because of, of, of revelation or a lack of revelation. And it's okay. There's no condemnation, therefore, for those who are found in Christ Jesus. Like zero. None. Okay, so if we don't get it, totally not a problem. Paul, Paul actually says that some of us will sleep or some of us will die and some of us will not. Right? Some of us won't. If it was strictly everybody will, but some will have, you know, a, um, a different encounter, then that's what he would have said. Okay, I'm going to really speed along here. I get whacking seven minutes. Which is going to be good enough. I believe that God can drop a revelation and a microphone. <laughs> yeah, mic drop. And he couldn't have planned it any better. At least it wasn't Starbucks. Right? You guys remember that? That was ridiculous. 1 Corinthians 15, 49-54. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust in the natural, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man, Jesus, in the natural. Now this I say, brethren, that, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you, a mystery. I love that. He's telling us a mystery. Because it has been hidden for so long, and now it's been revealed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall, but, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we, and, and, we shall, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruptible has put on incorruption, and, the, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is not swallowed up in death. It's not. If you've conquered death, it's not through death. Jesus died so you don't have to. That's the point of that. That's the point. Romans 8.11, But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life. To your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Too many people interpret this to be something that happens. The second coming of Christ. That is not what is being said here. What is being said here is literally what I just said. Otherwise he would have said. He'll bring, he'll bring uh, resurrection power to your dead bodies. But that's not what he said. He's bringing life. He gives you life to your mortal bodies. Genesis 3, 4 to 5, then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat, in, that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So again, boom, well, this is an evil teaching. This is like, surely we are not like God. We are exactly like him. He made us in, in his image. We are being transformed into the likeness of Christ in glory, not the likeness of Christ on the earth, not the likeness of Christ at the resurrection, not the life of Christ um, uh, post-resurrection. The life of Christ in glory. We're going to look like him as he is in glory. As he is, so are we in this world. As he is currently, so are we in this world. We need to break a bit of a barrier here. This is a tough one. Because this is the crux of it. 
we actually don't believe that. That we are being transformed into the likeness of Christ in glory. We believe the only way for that to manifest is through death. And if it's constantly through death, who is your God? Think about this. Who are we worshiping? Take a look around. How many of us drove past a cemetery? And we have all of these celebrations. Celebration of life. When somebody passes away. But we don't celebrate them to that extent when they're living. We're celebrating death. We idolize death. We make death the gate. We make death the doorway. But he said, I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. He's both. So, some will pass away. Absolutely. Scripture's clear. Some will pass away. Right? And I believe that it's because of a lack of revelation. I absolutely do. And, and not only that, but some of us have lived out the life that God intended for us. And so, therefore, when we're done, we're done. We know it. Like, many of us have encountered people on their deathbeds and they just know. I'm done. And they're done. No problem. Jesus knew when it was time. He was done. Right? Many people have known it's done. Jen's grandma, I remember so, so well because she lived this very difficult life fighting cancers of all kinds. Right? And she kept living because she, she believed she wasn't supposed to die until all of her grand, grandchildren were saved. And she was just hanging on, hanging on, hanging on. There was just no medical reason that we could find that... that made sense for her to still be alive because of how riddled her body was with cancer. Yet, two weeks after her last grandson gave his life to Christ, she was like, okay, I'm done. And she passed away. Peacefully. No problem. All right? So there are those that, that are going to go on because their time literally is actually done. They've done what they were sent here to do. That's not a problem. That's great. But some of us have been called to do something more, to do something longer, to see breakthrough. Right? If God has put something on your heart, that, that he has put you on the earth to see something come to fruition. Do not let the understanding of the world steal that from you. You get to hang around until that thing is done. That's his promise. Until it's done. You don't have to, but that's his preference. Most surely I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment uh, but but has passed from death into life judgment that the judgment he's talking about there is actually death because death right as we know is is what it's the penalty for sin sin leads to death this thing leads to death if you eat of the knowledge of true of good and evil you will surely die so if i eat from the tree of the knowledge of good if i eat from that fruit what's going to happen die if i eat the bad Make bad decisions. What's going to happen? Die. There's only one tree that gives life. His name is Jesus. One tree. All right? I know I'm rushing and I'm a little bit over time, but hopefully you can just give me a little bit of grace. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight <coughs> of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. Grab it. Get a hold of this thing. To which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, lives forever. In, in Christ, live forever. Okay, Matthew 7.13-14, oh I love this one. Remember how I said like, good luck 
finding as many verses talking about eternal separation, eternal damnation. This particular passage has been used so often to, to talk about uh, that very concept for the negative. But I've got, it, I've got something for you. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Do you know what destruction actually means here? I can tell you what, like, we don't have to argue. We know what it's been taught to, taught to us as. Hell. Eternal damnation. Right? Eternal separation from God. Interestingly enough, it's the only time that that particular word is used in that particular context. So that isn't how you read the Bible. That is not how you're supposed to interpret the Bible. Destruction literally means this thing. This thing's going to die. Okay? This, this fleshly form. And there are many who go, on, go in by it. They go into it. They just go. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. How many know there's, uh, uh, in the Catholic, the Catholic Church professes one billion believers. Does that sound like a small amount of people? Right. Does that sound like the door is really narrow? No. So you have to begin to take a look at, look at this logically. What, could, what else could he possibly mean when there are so many people who believe passing through this way? And I'm going to challenge you. There's a guy named Enoch. Okay? Who was? He walked with God, and then he was not. There's a guy named Elijah, who suddenly wasn't. Okay? How many other people do we know from Scripture did not die? Exactly. So I was going to jump to John, New Testament. There's no actual record of John, like the, the, the disciple Jesus loved. Right? There's no story of him actually dying. But there is a story of him being sent to the Isle of Patmos because they couldn't boil him to death. Now how many of you know, if you are actually, your physical body is placed into a vat of boiling oil highly probable your body is going to experience corruption and death. It's highly probable, right? In this particular instance, nothing happened. Scripture is very clear. Nothing happened. He was good to go and off to the Isle of Patmos because they didn't know what else to do with this guy. Significant. Now, if you tell me that there's three people in the, in the Bible, humans, non-God, non right? And we're going to just exclude Jesus from the conversation in regards to his passing away and, 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 and raising himself from the dead. So you've got three people that we're aware of that did not die. Now how narrow is that gate? Oh my goodness. Could it be? Could it be? That life, eternal life, everlasting life, immortality is actually a really, really small gate. And super narrow road that many people find extremely hard to not only find, but to live in. And so I'm just challenging you to understand, to begin to understand that everlasting life is actually part of the promise of your salvation. And when you're presenting the gospel to anybody and to give them a hope that they could not possibly find anywhere else, God knows that the story of everlasting life with him is not merely about passing through death. Do you know how many people are scared to die? And he promised life. Jesus says, I came to bring life and to bring it more abundant. Endeavor to understand life and life more abundant in the context of which he has spoken about it since the beginning all the way through the end of the Bible. The whole time he's used the exact same concept 
everlasting life. All right. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If he's paid the price for your death and he gives you the gift of eternal life, right? What's he saying? If you ask for a piece of bread, what's he going to give you? He's going to give you bread. He's not going to give you a rock or a stone. If you ask for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake. If you ask for life, he's not going to give you death. Okay? So, this is a concept that we'll probably, I, I definitely am going to keep coming around to, keep teaching on. This whole thing about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of life, is a super significant part of your actual walk. It really honestly is. And, uh, and I believe that there's a revelation that's actually flooding the earth right now in regards to eternal life, immortality in Christ Jesus, because he's absolutely the only way, the only reason it even happens. It's part of your story. And it's an invitation to the world. So we're going to, I, at least we'll keep coming back to it. Why do we accept death in that story or in that passage as literal, but we say that life is figurative? Just, we just need to use some logic from time to time when it comes to the scripture, okay? So I am going to end with, what I'm going to end with? Wow, there we go. If death was meant to be an acceptable part of life, would we have been commanded to raise the dead? Matthew 10, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, so freely you've been given life. And when that revelation drops, you want to know who can heal, who raise the dead? Those who have the revelation that they, ha- that they have that authority, that they have conquered death through Christ. Those are the people who raise the dead. If you want to raise the dead, you've got to go after God, go after the understanding, go after the revelation of what eternal life means and that gift to you, what Christ actually has done for you. Because it's far more than something that you're going to experience on the other side. As a point of reference, the Hebrew mind that this book was written to, the whole thousand, you know, whatever, 1400 years in which it was written, it was written to a group of people who did not have the concept of life after death. I want you to know that. It's not in their psyche. It isn't in their wheelhouse. Eternal life and immortality, as I see it, is a gift from God. Death is, slash was, part of the curse, and life is part of the blessing. Jesus came to give life. Small is the gate, narrow is the way that, that uh, leads to life, and few find it. But we are allowed to be a part of that few. <laughs>